0: Running on Empty is what we're gonna be talking about today. And we're also, um, Melissa will share with you later on, we're, we're continuing to launch our journey groups. This is our second week opportunity for you to sign up to be a part of a journey group. I bring that up because if you're new to Northlands, uh, we have in our resource center, so from the front lobby into the left side, there's a room called the resource center, there's a, a journey map on the wall. And you're like, what is a journey map, Tyler? I'm gonna tell you. A journey map is just a snapshot of everything that Northlands is. Over the last 20 years, we've collected our theology and our doctrine, our DNA, and we've put it up on the wall. The Journey Map is not a discipleship program. Uh, It's not a track for you to sign up for. It really is the signage or just the the culture. And so uh, people come to me, members come to me, and it's like they're confessing to like a priest. I'm like, it doesn't work like that here. They they go, Tyler, I feel bad, I'm a member. I've not checked out the Journey Map yet. I haven't done the QR codes or checked out any of the resources. The map has books for you to read, podcasts, sermons, just all the things that we've collected over the last two decades. And I said, guys, it doesn't work like that. That you're actually on the journey right now. Our journey groups pull from those resources that are on the map, and a lot of the groups, they focus around the content. And I say all that to say, if you're like, I've not checked out the journey map, we're all on the journey right now. There's, some, there's a number of books that have influenced me personally, but have influenced today's message and this series, Running on Empty, and so if I had 10 weeks to preach, I would take them because I'm very passionate about today's topic. I don't have 10 weeks. They won't give it to me here. Uh, I, I get one sermon right now and one at the end of the month is what they told me, uh, so I've got a lot to say, but there's three books that I want to recommend, so if you like today's message and you felt it was helpful, here's three books that I would say you must read these. They're, they're very, very helpful and impactful. Uh, the first one is a book from a pastor named John Mark Comer, he's out of Uh, Portland, uh, and he wrote a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I have read this book multiple times. My friends have all raved about it. It has helped us significantly when it comes to slowing down our life and focusing on what matters most. I would highly recommend that book. It's on our leadership life part of the journey map. Then we have a book by John Mark Comer, again, Live No Lies. Uh, These two books are gonna be really filled in my sermon here. There's many times where you'll see a slide come up with these books because it's either a direct quote from them or it was an idea that was influenced by these books. And then finally, a book by uh, a leader in Canada actually named Kerry Newhoff. He wrote a book at your best. It's all about energy management and prioritizing, whether it's in your personal life or at work. These are incredibly helpful, helpful books. So again, I would just recommend uh, these to read if you'd like to go into more. But let's talk running on empty. Uh, I thought about this, and I thought the video actually described it pretty well. If you're like, what's running on empty? What Andrew just did was running on empty. Uh, But I have my own story, even this year, about what it was like for me when I was experiencing burnout and and running on empty. It was May uh, of middle of the, the, getting ready for the summer. Nicole and I, we got some time to get away. I actually grew up right on the beach, East Coast, Outer Banks, not like the one on Netflix, that's fake, like the real Outer Banks, uh, legit area. And so it's great, because when we need to get a vacation or get away, it's just the perfect time for us to go see my folks, and we just have access to the beach. And it's a quiet beach, which is awesome. Uh, May was a busy uh, month for us, though. Personally, work, we were just going in a bunch of different directions, so I was just feeling the exhaustion. I was feeling uh, incredibly tired, but more than just uh, the usual, something was slowly but surely coming off the, 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 the wheels for me a little bit. There was something very different, and what happened was... You know how you use a vacation as like the light at the end of the tunnel? Anybody done that before? You're like I just need to make it to the vacation and I'm going to survive. I was doing that, but lo and behold, as I'm like a week away from vacation, more curveballs happen and now I realize that my June is going to be even more busy uh, than my May which now means that the vacation is more of a rehab or a detox. So I'm gonna get away, I'm dead serious, I mean that very seriously in the sense of, I'm gonna get away, I'm gonna unplug, but I'm literally charging my batteries because I know that I have to take the next hill. And so, I don't know if you've ever vacationed like that, it's not the best time. Uh, I'm driving into my hometown where it's filled with all of my friends that I grew up with. Usually it's a reunion. If you know me, I'm an extreme extrovert. I love to party. I don't want gifts, I want experiences. I want to have dinner with you. I want to go long hours into the night, good food, good wine, coffee, high laughter. That is my, my jam. And so when I go into my hometown, I'm, I'm connecting with high school friends, college friends, people that I worked with. We're doing breakfast and lunch and double dates with our spouses and all of this kind of stuff. And I drive into, I pass the, hey, welcome to Moorhead, which is the, my hometown. I drive in and I look at my wife and this is where I knew something was really wrong. I said, babe, this week, I don't wanna meet with anyone. And I'm, I knew it was wrong, because I'm an extrovert. My wife, who's an introvert, she thought I was flirting with her. You know, <laughs> like introverts are like, whew, that guy's smooth. I was like, I wasn't one of those. It was, I was like, get off me. I'm more than just, yeah. I've got, I've got a soul and a heart and everything, please. Don't. It was like, all the introverts are like, yeah, it's accurate. But I knew something was wrong with me because of who I am. And it wasn't just that I needed a break, it was that something that's supposed to be in me was not there. I was literally feeling like a shell, empty. And I had to, I literally, I've spent the first four days just unwinding and trying to literally find myself, going Where, like, what's going on, Ty? And fortunately, after after about eight days, I was getting back to myself, but it it just, it's still, June was a hard month and it was challenging. And here's what I found. I don't know, do you identify with that kind of a vacation? Has that ever happened to you? Yeah. There's this cycle, I don't know if you've noticed it, there's this cycle where we, we work really hard, we overcommit our calendars, we overprogram our lives, we overwork, we undersleep, we don't get enough exercise. And so we keep working like that, and then all of a sudden we snap. And it's usually at our spouse or our kids or our closest friends, and we say something along the lines of like, I'm sorry, I just need a vacation. Hey, or the old adage, Tyler, how you doing? Oh, I'm fine, I'm just busy. You know what's ironic? to my, my friends who our parents. I ask everybody, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm fine, just, it was a busy summer. And I'm like, okay. And then I'm like, hey guys, how you doing? Oh, I'm fine, it's just been a busy start of the school year. If school is busy and summer is busy, that's just your life, that's just your, that's just, just your life's busy. <laughs> don't, don't have to say the summer or the school, it's just, oh, we're just busy. And it, what ends up happening is we, we snap, we then go on an apology tour with our spouse, hey, I'm so sorry, I just need a vacation. We go on vacation, we recharge and then we make promises to ourselves and nobody lies to you better than you about you, right? Amen. You just say like I'm gonna look myself in the mirror, hey today's gonna be different, we're gonna do it different. And for about a month, you're you're rested and you're like, Yep, just fine. But then slowly but surely, people come with their needs or the calendar and you start overcommitting again, over programming, overworking. I gotta catch up on I gotta catch up on work, so not enough sleep. And then you do the cycle all over again. What is that? See, the the challenge here is sometimes we think that we have a, I need a vacation problem. We don't have a vacation problem. We have a, I'm doing life and working my life wrong problem. I like how Cary Newhoff says it in his book, At Your Best. He says this, time off will not heal you when your problem, my problem, is how we spend our time on. I'm gonna say that again, because you heard it. You're like, woo, that'll (laughs) preach. I didn't say it, Cary did, great guy. Time off will not heal you when your problem is your time on. What we think is I need to get away from my problems, get away from my circumstances, get away from some people and go on vacation. The problem is, is that when you go on vacation, you rest up, but what's waiting for you at home? You don't have a, I need a vacation problem. Our life is set up to always run on empty. Our culture is set up like this. Looking around, even how, as we set up our grocery stores, as we set up self-checkout, as we set up our Amazon accounts, we want fast, we want more, we wanna consume, and we do not wanna stop. Our culture is constantly pushing us, and the doctors have found that this is a very real sickness and a very real disease that they have coined, it's, and this is the truth, it's called hurry sickness. We suffer from this disease, and I thought, you know what, when people are suffering, why not have fun with it? Who wants to do a poll with me? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's not gonna be bad, it's anonymous. I just wanna ask a single question to the group. So if you would, I'm gonna get my phone. I got my phone here. I wanna do a group poll. If you're watching online, would love for you to join us. Uh, if you'd pull out your phone and go to your text messaging app, and then from there, just uh, send, send, you're gonna send a text to this number, 97,000. I'm gonna just prep mine. I just want everybody to get their phones out. And I just wanna, as you're reading your phones together, here's what hurry sickness is. Hurry sickness, defined by the US uh, dictionary, defines it this way, it is a behavior pattern characterized by an urgent and persistent need to feel busy or productive, and often an anxious, excessive preoccupation with work at the expense of relaxation and socializing. Uh, Mind Tools is an online article. They, they write a number of um, articles on uh, mental health, emotional health, and they said this about hurry sickness. This is just a, a little excerpt from their article on hurry sickness. It says this, Cardiologist Myers Friedman and Ray Rosenman coined the term hurry sickness after noticing that many of their patients suffered from a harrying sense of time urgency. They define hurry sickness as a continuous struggle and an unremitting attempt to accomplish or achieve more and more things or participate in more and more events in less and less time. Because we hate FOMO, the fear of missing out. So we're just gonna fit it all in. People with hurry sickness, they think fast, they talk fast, they act fast. That line attacks me with its words. I feel that deeply. They multitask and they rush against the clock feeling the pressure to get things done, and then they get flustered by any sign of an obstacle or a problem getting in their way of their accomplishing. They're everywhere too. Professor uh, Richard Jolly of the London Business School found that 95% of the managers he studied suffer from this condition called hurry sickness. I'm just so curious to know how many of us have it in the room. So we're gonna do a poll. Here's what I'll do. In just a moment, I'm gonna tell you what to text in but I want you to listen to this list. I have a list of symptoms and identifiers. I wanna know, do you identify with any of these symptoms? Would you go, oh yeah, that's me. Now the first three are lighthearted. They're kind of funny. So I'm gonna ask for a show of hands just to say, hey, like, are, are, we, are we listening? Is this you? Just, this is if you know if you have hurry sickness. Have you ever, have you ever, and show your hands if this is you, have you ever gone to the grocery store and you collect all of your items, and after you collect all your items, you get to the aisle, you get to the checkout, and do you go to the nearest checkout counter? Or do you, do, you scan, do you scan the rows to see, I don't wanna get behind the soccer moms who are like clearly feeding a soccer, I don't want two baskets. You're watching who's carrying something. Our culture itself, they literally have an express lane, 10, ten items or less, self-checkout, or the regular slow aisles <laughs> that are never occupied by enough workers. So it just drives you nuts. Do you do that? I'll, Oh, I'm not the, you, when you preach, you're like, am I the only one who feels this way? But I'm glad I'm, com- I'm comforted now. Tell me if you, this one, show of hands on this one. When you're driving your car and you, you're, you come to a stoplight, two lanes, on the right lane, there's four or five cars waiting at the stoplight. On the left side, you're all already starting to laugh. Two, two cars on the left-hand side. Do you stay in the right lane or do you just do one of those like shifts because you're like, 10 seconds matters? Yeah, no? You all are sick. You got you got the disease, no. This one's, you multitask and you lose track of the tasks. You're like emailing somebody, your, doc, or your boss or your coworker comes in, uh, you're, writing, you're reading some articles for a presentation and while you're doing all of that, you forget who you're writing an email to. Have you, yeah, you just, sometimes people will talk to me while I'm writing an email and I'll start typing the words that they're saying to me. Has that ever happened? That's hurry sickness, all right. I'm gonna read the rest of these. No show of hands here. I wanna read these. And after I'm done reading them, we're gonna take a poll to just see who's got hurry sickness. And most of us have already got it. <laughs> Number four is this, irritable. You become uh, frustrated and angry very easily. And, and to take note, this is not about how you work with your coworkers or your boss. It's the people you're most close to and most comfortable with. It's your spouse, your spouse, your kids, your roommate, your closest friends, and what they do begins to irritate you because they're not operating or or operating to the same beat of your drum. They're doing things, they're just living their life, like the way they do that stuff. How your husband loads the dishwasher, just that's irritability, it's very sickness, sorry. I'm a husband, it's fine. I know I can't load it right, it's fine. Hypersensitivity, one comment or grumpy email will ruin your day because you will meditate on that comment or email for the rest of the day. Have you ever had that like fight in the back of your head that nobody's listening to because it's just in your head? But you're like, I can't believe Brenda would say something like that to me, just like just tearing it up. And like 8 p.m., you've resolved. It. You're like, I'm gonna tell her what's what tomorrow. That's hurry sickness, hypersensitivity, restlessness. This one gets me. When you actually do try to slow down and rest, you can't relax. When you have a day off, you just you fidget around the house. You give Sabbath a try and you hate it. You read scripture, but you find it boring. You have quiet time with God, but you can't focus your mind for 15, 30 minutes, an hour. Uh, You you end up tossing and turning with anxiety. You watch TV, but then you simultaneously are on Instagram. Anybody who try to watch a show on Netflix, but then you're also rolling on Instagram just to see if there's something better? Yeah, or you're folding laundry, you're answering emails. That's hurry sickness. Workaholism or nonstop activity. You just don't know when to stop, or worse, you can't stop. Your drug of choice is accomplishment and accumulation. You like going past the five, six, seven, eight o'clock in the night because you're telling yourself what I'm doing is important, it matters, I'm making great strides. It's over, being overactive and not saying, hey, enough is enough for today, we'll finish the rest tomorrow. This one gets me uh, emotional numbness. You don't have the capacity to feel another's pain or even articulate your own pain for that matter. Empathy is a rare feeling for you. You just don't have the time for it. You live in this kind of constant feud of static uh, emotion. It's this idea, it's to say, uh, if you said, oh, I can feel things, I can tell you how I feel, and you just list off, I I can tell you if if I'm depressed, sad, angry, or happy. Did you know that there's more emotions than just those? Like, you, you, when's the last time you would say, today I'm feeling compassionate, sympathetic, empathetic, melancholy. I'm not just sad, I'm, I am depressed or I'm grieving. When's the last time you felt awe and wonder? I walk my daughter to, to a park that's a block from our house and I try and get as much playtime in at the park because I want her to have a great time, but we try and squeeze it in between dinner time and the sun going down. And so we've got 30 minutes to get to the park and I'll walk with her and I'm just yanking her arm off the side. I'm like, hey, we gotta get to the swings. We gotta get to the side before the sun goes down. And she'll just, she'll just pull her arm away from me and she'll start walking. And then she looks at the ground and she'll just. Daddy, there's ants. Look at these ants. And I go, babe, but we're gonna, the sun's going down. We're not gonna have time to play at the park. But they're black ants, daddy. They're not red ants. They won't sting you. We can, we can hold them. Dads, I think sometimes, parents for that matter, we rushed our kids' activities because we want them to have a great life. And all the more, they're in awe and wonder of life around them and we don't have time to spend with them. I think this could be why Jesus says, hey, if you're gonna see the kingdom of God, you have to slow down and be like one of these little children. Why is hurry sickness such a big deal? Because we might miss what God is doing because we're in too much of a rush. Emotional numbness, other symptoms, out of order priorities. Greg did a great job preaching a message last week. I would recommend it. It's about addressing the urgent things and not the important things. Uh, A lack of care for physical health, eating, going out for walks, eating in healthy ways, those kind of things, we don't have time for that. Uh, Escapist behavior, it was my vacation, it was I wanna get away from my problems, I wanna get away from people, I wanna get away from my calendar, and so I'm going to go away somewhere. Or you just escape into your mind by binging on Netflix or watching the game or whatever it may be. And I love how Peter Rasmussen, a friend of the house, says it. He said, there's nothing wrong with watching Netflix. But if you're convincing yourself that you're slowing down and getting a rest, you're not getting a rest, you're just making yourself numb. You're checking out, and it will numb you, but it will not give you the rest that you're actually looking for. All right, so here's what we wanna do. We gotta take this poll. I want you to text 97000 the word hurry. And then what's gonna happen is there's gonna be a response that comes back to you and it's gonna give you four options. Here's here's what it is. I'm gonna read through these again just as the bullet point. If you identify with one to three on this list, one to three of the identifiers or symptoms, go ahead and text in one. If you identify with four to six, you can text the number two. If you are perhaps like me and you're like seven plus for sure, you're just reading my diary, go ahead and text in number three. Or perhaps you're one of the 5% that you don't identify and you can text in four and just say, none of those relate to my life. I'm just so curious to see how it goes. Look at them all coming in, I'm gonna text in, hurry. So I don't tell you guys to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. And so again, here's this short checkout lines, stop signs, you can't multitask, or you try to multitask, but you can't. Being irritable, hypersensitive, restlessness, workaholism, emotional numbness, out of order priorities, a lack of care for physical health, and escapism. I'm gonna text in mine. Let's see how we're doing. Hey, wow, seven plus, wow. Don't worry, I'm not judging you. I don't know who sent him in. It's fine, no big deal. Isn't that amazing? I know more are coming in, you're happy to text them in. If you're watching online, you can do that. The point I wanna make is this, is that we have a small 2% who don't identify, but for the majority, in some form or fashion, we can say, I have at some point in my life a level of hurry sickness. And that's something that we have to address. You might ask the question, okay, Tyler, what does this have to do with God or church or my spiritual walk? That's what this series is all about. It's to show us why hurry, why being in a rush, why, why over-prioritizing uh, the urgent needs that are coming in your life and not focusing on the important things that God has called you to do, how that impacts your life. I like how the author and theologian Dallas Willard said it, he said it this way when asked, uh, tell me Dallas, what, is the, what, is, what do you think is the, the great enemy for someone's spiritual life? The thing that disconnects them from intimacy, that disconnects them from abiding in God. And he said this, he said that hurry, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life. If somebody asked you that question, is that what you would have said? I would have have thought maybe gross sin or or habitual addictions or anger or greed or uh, oppressing the poor. But Dallas says, no, 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 it's hurry. Hurry is the great enemy of your spiritual life. And then he adds to this, we as believers or we as human beings, we need to make sure that we ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. This series is not just about finding priority of what matters most in your life. This series is about when you find things that are out of order or out of priority, you ruthlessly eliminate them from your life. And that might be easier said than done, but I do believe it's possible. Here's why it might be easier said than done. Because you might ask, Tyler, is it even possible? Because if you're like me, you have a case for everything. Like I have a reason why my life is so busy. I have, I have a little girl, I've got one on the way, I'm, I've got a wife, I, life is busy for me. I'm a pastor, I, this is like, there's always the excuse of I'm so busy. It's because of the life that I'm in or the circumstances that I'm in. It's because we live in 2022, the 21st century. There's internet, there's cars, there's phones on our hips. Everything is fast, moving quickly. Is it even possible to find a life where we're not running on empty? And I believe it is possible, I just don't believe it will be celebrated in our culture because our culture defaults towards consumerism, defaults to always needing, more is always the answer. If you want, if you, hey, for an extra 10 cents, we can supersize it. Hey, if, if you, honestly, like, if you could have the same, the, uh, two extra rooms onto your house, but pay the same mortgage, obviously you'd want two extra rooms. Why wouldn't we have more? Why wouldn't we have a bigger house, a faster car, a newer car? More is always what's happening, and it must be faster and faster and faster. Our lives become more and more complex and busy because that's how our culture celebrates success. We we do our very best to be omnipresent like God. We have our phones attached to us, and have you noticed that it literally attaches you to all the world's problems in the world? Like I know, I know it's helpful for us to know what's happening in the other nations, but just the, re- you're wondering, hey, why am I so depressed? Why am I anxious? It's because literally you have a lens to see all the world's problems all at once. God can hold all that in place. I just don't think our human psyche was meant to be able to handle that. Your phone's on you 24 seven. Your boss is continually being able to connect with you through email and through text messages. How many times has a family dinner been interrupted because you have a, a work emergency that must be addressed right then and there? See, our culture prides itself on hustle and grind and getting in the extra hours. We have slogans in our cities, like the city that never sleeps. We like going faster, we like the hurry, but it's destroying us. You said, Tyler, destroying is such a strong word. I just, this is a study that I read. In 2003, we as human beings, we had a 12 second attention span. In 2013, a few years after social media and the internet really started taking its toll and putting it in our pocket, our attention span went down from 12 seconds to eight seconds. Which you think, because there's optimists in the room, they're like, Tyler, it's just, it's just four seconds. We can do without four seconds. Goldfish, have the attention span of nine seconds. Selah, <laughs> like your kid's guppy can think about something more deeply and for longer than you can. That should bother you, it bothers me. I'm like, of course I can focus for more than 12 seconds, but I'm also like, you know, Netflix and other stuff, you know, is it even possible, when that's all that we're up against, is it even possible for me to have a life where I'm not running on empty? What I find fascinating is that Jesus, he was absolutely the Messiah, he was absolutely the Christ, the savior of the world, but he was also a rabbi. He was a first century Jewish Galilean rabbi speaking to a first century people. And he was speaking to them about solutions and prescribing to them a way to beat their running on empty, their hurry sickness. And even though that group of people, they didn't have email, they didn't have phones, they didn't have the internet, they didn't have fast cars, they didn't have our schedules, the things that Jesus prescribed to them to stop them from running on empty are the same solutions that he would recommend to you and me today in 2022. We are not talking about new information or new solutions because we're a new type of person. The hurry sickness is not a 21st century issue. It's a human condition, and Jesus came to bring a solution for that. And I wanna talk about the invitation and the promises that Jesus makes about that solution. But before I do, I need to talk about two frameworks that I wanna just throw out. It's gonna feel like we're going on a rabbit trail. I promise you we're not. It's gonna sound random. They're gonna, we're gonna tie this thing together and put a bow on it, I promise you. I need to talk to you, number one, about the relationship between Jewish rabbis and their Talmudin, their apprentices or their disciples, and what they called a rabbi's yoke. So we're gonna talk about that for a moment, and then after that, I wanna talk to you about what is truth. We need to to understand, in order to to find and understand Jesus's invitation and his solution and his promise to us, we have to understand these two frameworks and see how they work together. Let's start with rabbis and talmudine, the apprentices, the disciples, as we call them in the scriptures. What we need to understand first and foremost, that rabbis and disciples, that is not a Christian term. Jesus was not the first rabbi. He was not the first rabbi to say to his disciples, hey, come and follow me. I'm gonna make you fishers of men. That wasn't something Jesus made up. It wasn't a part of the Christian faith. We are all disciples. The question, and what I'm gonna show you is that, the question is not, are you a disciple? The question really is, is who is your rabbi? Who are you following? You and I, we are following many different rabbis, and we need to figure out who they are because they play a massive role in our life. Now. It's not the same thing in terms of our education systems. If you take the first century Jewish education system and our 21st century Western culture, ideology of like independent thinking, entrepreneurship, it is very different. But for the sake of our time, what we would say, or what I would say is maybe the equivalent of the the Jewish education system's high school. When a young man was finishing up high school, rabbis would come into the school and they'd begin to study these young men. They wanted to find the best of the best. They didn't just wanna know who's in the senior class. They go, who's the top five in this class? And then from there, they wanna take the top five and they wanna interview them deeply. They wanna they want do intellectual sparring with them. At this, at this stage in their education, uh, these young men had memorized the Torah First five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, I mean memorized it, not like they knew it well, they memorized it word for word. And so rabbis would spar with them and try and challenge them to see how well they know their scriptures, how well they know their history, how well they know uh, their faith and and their relationship with Almighty God. And once they had done their interview process, what they would do is they would sit down with the young men and they would do one of two things. They'd either reject them from this, this uh, graduation of becoming a Talmud dean, and those who were rejected would then uh, come into their, their family business. So we know that, that Jesus' disciples were kind of the rejects from the other rabbis because Peter, James, John, Andrew, they were all fishing when they met Jesus, which was a family trade. And so they had been rejected from the Talmud dean, that third level of their education. But those who were accepted, those who were the best of the best of the best, the rabbis would look across from them and they would say, hey, I want you to come and follow me. Now here's where we have to recognize the difference, because we will not only miss what I'm trying to talk about with rabbis and apprentices, you'll miss, if you're a Jesus follower, you will miss the invitation that Jesus gave you when he said to come and follow him. If you count yourself as a Jesus follower and you don't understand the disconnect between a Western independent mindset and this Jewish culture, you will miss his invitation. In a Western culture, we would say something like if we had a professor from Harvard or Yale or something like that, and they said, hey, Come and follow me, come and sit in my classes, come and be a part of this university. I'm gonna teach you some lessons about life. I'm gonna teach you all the subjects that I know. And then from there, once you graduate, you'll be able to have this great piece of paper on the wall and you'll be able to take it back into your life and follow your dream, follow your individual purpose, whatever you feel called to do, but you'll, you'll have some lessons that I've taught you along the way. That's not what they were being offered in the Jewish system. In the Jewish education system, the students understood when a rabbi said, hey, I want you to come and follow me, the invitation was more to the effect of, hey, I want you to come and become me. An apprentice knew, he says, I'm going to become that man. I'm going to watch his life so closely that I'm going to see how he dresses, how he eats, who he hangs out with, when he goes into the community, who he talks to, the jokes that he tells in the community, I'm gonna say those jokes with the same inflection. Everything that he is, I'm going to become a carbon copy of this manner of this rabbi. And so they, they had these blessings that they would say over students. They would say things like, hey, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And it was this idea that, hey, would you follow your rabbi so closely that as he is walking down the road and kicking up dust behind him, may that dust cover you because you're walking with your rabbi so closely and so intimately. That was the invitation. Now the question is, is how do you become a carbon copy of someone? This is where a rabbi's yoke comes into play. Uh, a yoke, and what we're talking about, I think we have a picture of it. A yoke is like, a, like a, that of an ox yoke or a cattle yoke that was plowing. It wasn't like an egg yoke, so I just wanna make sure we're all in the same picture. Some people ask me, like, what does he mean by that? Like, scrambled, or what's going on? Uh, an ox yoke. And so what this was was that they would make these custom yokes and they would, they would make one side that would fit a, a bigger ox or a bigger uh, uh, cattle and it would be the stronger of the two. And then they would attach a younger, upcoming, strong ox to walk alongside this other stronger ox so that they would learn to keep pace and that it was essentially, hey, learn to plow a field and I'm gonna show you the way. Follow my pace, use my strength and capacity. And so rabbis were offering this invitation. Hey, come and put on my yoke. Walk with me, I'll show you how I do life. Now, a part of this yoke was this concept of binding and loosing. It was this idea that rabbis would say to their apprentices, their Talmudin, they would say, hey, I, I bind you. I restrict you from doing that over there, but I loose you. It's okay to do this over here. Jesus did this with his disciples. He said, whatever you loose in heaven will be loose on earth. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. It was this relationship that a rabbi would have with his disciples or his apprentices. This was not because rabbis were control freaks and they're like, I'm in charge, I'm the one with authority. It's because they understood the invitation. You're a student and you said you wanted to become me. I'm showing you all the restrictions that I put on my life. These are things that the rabbi says, I don't do these things and I do these things over here. That's how I became me. If you want to become me, if you want my life, you have to embrace my lifestyle the way in which I move and navigate through the world around us. That's what it means to have a yoke. So for our intensive purposes, this metaphor of a yoke, we would say this, that a yoke, it is a truth that you live by. I think that we got the quote there, yeah. They are the truths that you live by in order to obtain what your rabbi promised. What did the rabbi promise? I can help you become me. You like my status, you like my education, you like how I fit in our community, I can teach you how to become like me. You just have to live like me and copy me and do what I do. This is what a yoke is. It's to embrace truths that you live by in order to obtain that which your rabbi has promised to give you. All right, we're done talking for a moment about rabbis. Are you all still with me? We just, we just learned something at the very least. It's like if he doesn't tie it together, that's an interesting thought. I promise, let's talk about truth for a moment. Pontius Pilate's question to Jesus when he was on trial, what is truth? I wanna talk about that. John Mark Comer in his book, Live No Lies, uh, had a great way of defining truth. He said this, he said, truth is reality. You wanna know what truth is? Truth just is. It's how things actually are. We live in a culture that believes in many truths or that there's a truth for each one of us. That is not what the scriptures teach, and I would, I would argue that's not what the, if you, if you don't believe in God, it's not what we see in the world around us. Truth is not many, there is just one truth. There is the truth. It is reality. so for example, this idea when people say, you know, I'm just living my truth, I'm just trying to be my true self, I'm just trying to be my, the, the authentic me. If that's you and you believe that, that's fine, but here's what you have to understand. That's not a statement about truth. That's a statement about autonomy. In other words, you're saying, I wanna do what I wanna do. And this is the good news for you. You live in a free country. And by God's grace, you've been given a free will. You have every right to live the way you want to live. But what we don't have the power to do is to change reality or to change truth. So for example, your ability to know truth, to be ignorant of truth, or to rebel against it does not change the truth. So for so example, the law of gravity. Let's say you and I, we go in, we step up onto the church roof on the ledge like this. I'm not gonna jump, don't worry. It's, it's concrete, there's no carpet. You gotta be. But you and I have been taught physics and we've been taught how gravity works. Because we've been taught how gravity works, what happens when we both take a step off the ledge? Your knowledge had nothing to do with the reality of how gravity works or the law of gravity. What happens in our sweet naivete, in our ignorance? Nobody, nobody told us about about how gravity works. We're just, we're just sweet little lambs who just don't know how the world works and we get to the same space and we step off the roof. Then what happens to us? Oh, our, our ignorance doesn't change the fact that we have to suffer the consequences for violating a truth. Truth has no enemies or allies, it just is. I think it's interesting that God said, I am who I am. A translation that is in our, I be who I be. What happens if you rebel against gravity? You say, you know what, Tyler? Personally, I feel like I was born anti-gravity. I I don't identify with it. Hey, it's great for you. If that's your truth, you live that truth. But what what if we take that posture and then we take a step off the roof? Then what happens? You cannot bend truth to your life. So the best thing that you can do is figure out what is true what is reality, and bend your life to it. Because if you do not, you will suffer the consequences of it. This is why when kids move out of their parents' house and sometimes it can be a little bit abrupt and they're like, you know what, dad, mom, forget you. I'm gonna be my own boss. I'm getting out of here. They're currently, their, their phone's being paid for, their car's being paid for, their clothes, their food. Uh, the mouth on them was given to them by their dad as well. Like everything that they have is from their parents. <laughs> and they go, you know what, forget? we say things in our culture like, oh, that girl or that boy is about to get a dose of reality. Guys, know this guy gets in your face, you go, I'm about to give this guy a reality check. It's the cold, hard truth of how the world works. It just just is. I like how 2 Corinthians says it plainly. It says that we can do nothing against the truth, only for it. That's the point. You and I, we are the sum total of the choices that we make. Everything that brought you to this moment with us right here, right now, the finances that you have in your bank account, the home that you're in, the person that you're married to, the kids that you have, the place that you live, everything is because the life happened around you. And as you navigated through life, like, a, like perhaps a rabbi would, as you navigate through life, you started making choices off of what you believe to be true. In other words, you are the sum total of the choices you make, but you make your choices off of the truths that you submit to or the lies that you embrace. And nobody embraces a lie thinking that it's a lie. You only embrace things going, oh, I I, I know that to be true. We call them blind spots. How do you know if you're currently living your life in a way where you you might be living a lie, embracing a lie? Well, how do we know if somebody violated a truth like gravity? We can see it plainly. If you violate truth and you embrace a lie, there will always be consequences, either in the immediate moment or at some point in the future. Nobody gets away with violating reality or truth. If you do, you're embracing a lie. It's fantasy, it's a delusion, and it's fine. You have the choice to live in a fantasy, but you have not changed reality. And if you don't see reality, you'll eventually suffer the consequences that come with delusion. And so, I'll take it. You take what you can get. There you go. So, are you running on empty? Do you have hurry sickness? Could that be that you violated some truths along the way? Could it be that God designed human beings to operate in a specific kind of way, to work their life in such a way we don't have a vacation problem. Could it be that because of our hurry sickness that we are we are navigating through our life with a mental map of what we believe to be true and we're coming along these lies that we've embraced. of I need to do these things. I must respond to these needs. We have to sign up for that activity. This is just how life is, Tyler. That's not, that's not violating a truth, that's just how life is. Is that statement true? I think for me, this is a series where I wanna diagnose my life and go, hey, where do I see that I've violated truth and it's wreaking havoc or consequence in my life? And I would argue if you have hurry sickness, somewhere along the way, you're doing something that you shouldn't be doing. And so am I. And this is what it means to ruthlessly eliminate it from your life because it's taking from you. All right, let's bring it all together. Two frameworks, we got rabbis and apprentices, we've got what is truth. Jesus comes into the world, absolutely, as I said, the Christ and the Messiah, but he's also a rabbi. And so he enters into his ministry in the first century and he takes a survey of the people that are in the the crowd that he's around on a constant basis. And he diagnoses them, he gives a rabbi's observation. He says, oh, you're running on empty. With compassion in his heart, oh, you're harassed oh, you're, you're helpless. Oh, you're living like you're a sheep without a shepherd. That's Matthew 9, verse 36. Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, he said, oh, you're weary. You're heavy laden. You're burdened. Oh, it's because you're running on empty. It's because you have but then he But then he makes another observation. He goes, oh, it's because you've taken a yoke that you're carrying and it's violated truths and it's, it's wreaking havoc on your life and it's creating consequences on you. And then he goes, who put that yoke there? There are rabbis in the first century, physical rabbis like Jesus. He wasn't the only one. There were teachers who said, come and follow us and we will teach you how to truly live your life the right way, the God-honoring way. And Jesus comes onto this scene and he goes, oh, you are—you think that you have, because they were being oppressed by Rome, you think that you have a Roman oppression problem. You don't have a Rome problem. You're doing your life wrong. This is the good news of the gospel. It does not require that your circumstances are perfect. If your life is hard, if you face trauma, if you're currently going through absolute hell, here's the good news. You can still have life and life to the full because Jesus' offering is not one about, hey, let me give you an easy life. He's saying, even if your, your life is hard, I have an easy yoke for you. I can teach you how to do your life better. full. And so Jesus wreaks havoc on the rabbis, he is angry. Let me just read you what he says about the rabbis. This is what he has to say. Uh, bring it up, it's in Matthew chapter 15, verse 10. He says this, Jesus called, to the crowd, uh, called the crowd to him and he said, listen and understand, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. That's that binding and loosing. He's saying, hey, just so you know, it's not about what you eat, it's about the things that you say what are in your heart. That's where defilement comes from. And then the disciples, his disciples, they came to him and, he, and they asked, do you know that the Pharisees, the other rabbis, were offended when they heard you say this? And Jesus was like, I'm so sorry. Tell them, send them my apologies. I didn't mean to step on their toes. No, Jesus was, he went hard. Here's what he said. He said. He replied, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. In other words, he says, if it did not come from my Father, if he did not design it, if he did not plant it, it is a lie and it will be uprooted. That's what Jesus had to say. And then he said this to his disciples and to those who could hear. Go ahead and leave them because they are blind guides. If the, this is the parable, it's a short sentence. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. In other words, he's going, you are following people who do not know the truth, the truth is not in them. He called these same Pharisees, your father is the devil. What he meant by that was the father of lies, that's who you follow and you're putting yokes on people that you are claiming to be truth and they're lies and it's crushing them and it's wreaking havoc and I won't have it anymore. And so he begins to talk to them about a new invitation. And so Jesus says, he says, don't follow them anymore. Let's talk about, for just a moment though, about the invitation that Jesus gives. But before I, so let me just say this, because this is important for us. Just because there's not first century Jewish rabbis today walking the streets does not mean that rabbis do not exist. They are all over the place. They are in our entertainment, they're in Hollywood, they are in our sports, they are in our education, they are in our government, in our politics, the way we, all, all a yoke is and all a rabbi is they are giving you ideology. If you embrace this ideology, I promise you, I can give you something. Let me just show you some rabbis of social media, just for context, there's rabbis all over, not just in social media, but let me just show you some of the rabbis of our day who are lying to you. Rabbi Facebook, let's talk about Rabbi Facebook for a moment, do we have Rabbi Facebook? Rabbi Facebook said this, hey, come and follow us. And in 2004, their mission statement is, because if you follow us, we wanna give people the power. Ooh, that sounds powerful. To build community and bring the world closer together. Here's the problem that I have. I followed Rabbi Facebook for a moment. I have yet to see them unifying the world. Have you been on social media? It's hot in there. I can't can't be a pastor because the things that come into my mind that I wanna say to people, it's not godly. Rabbi Facebook says, if you follow me and you take up our yoke, give us your information, upload some videos, hit the like button. If you just do, you just do these things, we promise you, we're going to give you the power so that you can have community. And we're going to unite the world together. Blind, Liars. Let's look at it. Rabbi Twitter, Rabbi Twitter. This one gets me, this is just tickles me. Armit, come and follow us, and we will give everyone, not so fast, Trump, sorry, uh, the past. sorry. I'm so sorry, that was, just, that was a slight, but it's true. They, they have the right to do it, it's their stuff. Everyone, the power to create and share ideas and information instantly without barriers. Oh. I don't know if you followed this, Rabbi. I've yet to see that experienced. Rabbi TikTok, for you younger guys out there, Rabbi TikTok. Our mission statement, to inspire creativity and to bring you joy. We just need all of your information and all of your family's information and all. Just take up the yoke, give us all of your data, and I promise you, we can bring you joy. Now the question is, is how do you know if these are blind guides? Here's what I found about social media. These aren't even my words, these are just the studies that I collected for for the sake of our time today. Here's what the yokes actually bring to us. Social media rabbis, they bring depression and anxiety, cyberbullying, FOMO, or what the Bible would call coveting, we just cleaned it up to say fear of missing out, unrealistic expectations, negative body images, unhealthy sleep patterns, addiction to screens, lowered attention spans, remember the goldfish, escalated suicide rates. That's what people are saying, as we, as we see studies, this is what's happening to people who are on social media. I don't see any of this on their mission statements, do you? You can follow any rabbi you want, but whatever rabbi you follow, you take on their yoke, and every yoke has a cost to it, and you will pay a price for it. Make sure that the yokes that you are carrying in your life, that they are truly delivering on what your rabbi promised. I am not telling you to get rid of social media. I'm just simply saying, that is what they promised, and they have not delivered. Selah. We're gonna, it's gonna get nicer. It's okay, this is just, just food for thought to consider. Jesus had an invitation though. Jesus was like the other rabbis. He offered a promise. He said, you need to take up a yoke. He gave an invitation for people to come and follow him. This is what Jesus had to say. Here was a promise that he said. He said, he said this in John ten ten. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The, the world, the culture, your own desires, the devil himself has one agenda. will make you promises about what is truth but will lie to you to the core, and it will steal from you, it will rob you, it will destroy you, it will overall bring you death. And he says, so be mindful of the other rabbis. And he says, but I also have an invitation. I have come for this reason, for this promise, to give you life and life to the full. That's what Jesus promised. Now the question is, is how do we know if his promise holds up? Jesus gave us a promise and then he gave an invitation. And I want us to read this invitation. This is the invitation that he gives. It's Matthew 11, verse 28. Do we have that up? Yeah. He says this, for all who are listening, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Are you running on empty? Are you exhausted? Are you burnt out by life? Are you feeling like every day you are just doing what you can to keep your head above water and your circumstances are beating you down? I want you to come to me. If that's you, come to me. Why? Because I will give you rest. And then he says, take my yoke upon you. I like this. This is, a, this is the term of a rabbi and it's a term of work. He doesn't say, hey, come to me. I'll give you a rest. Take up a mattress, go have a nap. That's what you need. No, he goes, he goes, your problem is not that you need a nap. He's going, you're doing your life wrong. It's not your time off. It's your time on. Take up my yoke. I will teach you how to work your life the proper way. Way. He says that, "'Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart.'" I'm not like these other blind rabbis who wanna rip you off. "'And you will find rest, not just for your circumstances, but deep down in your soul. When your circumstances do not reflect peace, you can still have peace in here. "'For my yoke is easy.'" And the burden that I give you, it is light. You can manage it. This is a yoke that fits you well. And I am walking with you. I'm the bigger ox. I am going to carry most of the weight here. I wanna just walk with you in your life. That's the invitation that Jesus gives us. And he gives it to you. He gives it to me. It wasn't just for the first century. It was for us today. Now the question has to be, is what Jesus claimed, the promises, the yoke, is it true or is he just like the other blind rabbis and their lying yokes. This is what the series is about. If we look at the life of Jesus, does he reflect the full life or a life that is running on empty? I like how Dallas Willard answered the question. When, when he was asked, uh, describe Jesus in one word. He thought about it for a moment, and he said, relaxed, relaxed. Jesus was never in a rush. And you might say, that's because he was Jesus, he could turn water into wine, and when you can turn water into wine, life's a party. Life would've been easy for him. I know that your life is difficult. I know that many of you here have incredible circumstances that you're doing your best to overcome. But if you look at the life of Jesus and ask the question, was Jesus's life hard? I would argue yes. He was born into poverty. He was a minority. He was born to a 16-year-old girl, which in that culture was just a blackballing to society. People go, oh, we know that you don't know who your father is. It was this continual rejection and mockery. His ministry was never respected except for a few fishermen who followed him around because they were looking for a rabbi and he was the only invitation in town. They eventually betrayed him. He is un- unjustly accused of crimes he did not commit, eventually crucified, which means he didn't just wasn't just put to death for crimes he didn't commit. He was stripped naked, put up on a pole for all to see, dying in an undignified way. And that was Jesus' life. Was his life urgent? He had three years to save the world. I know your life is hard and busy. I just go, that timeline, man. Did he, did he, did he have a purpose that mattered deeply? Yes. And what was his resources? He had 12 disciples who were rejected by blind rabbis. And those were gonna be the ones that help him launch this kingdom. Was Jesus' life hard? Yes. Was his life filled with desperate needs and people coming to him? Yes. Did he have an urgency? Yes. But when I asked the question, was Jesus in a rush or was he relaxed? I believe he was relaxed. Over the next four weeks, we're gonna look at this man's life through the gospels and we're gonna see how he addressed the hurry symptoms of the world around him and how he did not give in to the culture that was demanding more and more and more of him. I want the relaxed life of Jesus, don't you? Now, here's here's where it gets a little hard and awkward, okay? This is where things get a little bit challenging for us. Who here has seen uh, the the new Top Gun movie? Anybody seen the Top Gun movie? Sinners, get out of (laughs) here. you're not watching The Chosen or The Passion, you're, you're not doing it right now. There's a scene in Top Gun. If you haven't seen the, the new one, I'm not spoiling anything. If you haven't seen the original, not a problem. There's these two scenes, in the original and in the new one. They're at the beach, a bunch of fighter pilots playing beach volleyball or beach football, depending on which movie you watch. They're all shirtless, they're all jacked. They're literally yoked, pun intended. And, they're, and so I'm, I go to the movie theaters with my friends. I'm watching this and I'm going, geez that pudgy kid from Divergent got abs now. And I'm, I'm sitting there with my Coca-Cola slushy, because that's what I get when I go to the theater. It's a big gulp, because it's only an extra 10 cents to get a bigger one. More's better. And I'm watching it and I'm going, man, I wanna get abs like Miles Teller. <laughs> Wonder what he did to get abs like, like that. The next day, this is a true story, I'm not even making this up. The next day, I'm on YouTube, because I didn't even bring up the rabbi YouTube. Uh, I'm on YouTube and it literally says, do you want abs like Miles Teller, like he had in Top Gun? (laughs) I'm like, in fact, I do. I was just thinking that to myself. And it's only a three minute video, of course I'll watch it. So I I click on that, I click on that. And he goes, oh yeah, uh, to get in shape, because they're like, they're like, how did you get in such great shape? And he's like, oh, well, he goes, I, I hired a nutritionist. I, I hired a, 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 like a physical therapist. I hired somebody uh, for the gym, just to do, like an entire, I had like three or four people on my team that were just watching every move that I make, everything. How I could recover, all that kind of stuff. And then I ate for nine months. All I had was plain chicken breast and asparagus or broccoli for nine months straight. No sugar, nothing. And then he goes, and then for the beach scene, we're all like sweating in the sun. We're all doing curls to like get ready for the scene off to the side before the camera shoots. And right as the the director goes, all right guys, action, get into your places. Our our personal trainers give us Coca-Colas or Skittles so that we can shotgun them as we're going. Because when when you take sugar and you inject it into a system who's not had sugar in a long time, it shocks the system and apparently it shrinks your skin to your muscles so you look even more jacked. And he goes, oh, by the way, we also had to dehydrate ourselves for three days before that shoot. So we had no liquids. That was the first liquids we've had in three days. And so I'm sitting there, I'm watching the video. <laughs> oh, I'm, not, I'm not gonna do that. Yeah, yeah, not gonna do that. That's, so do you want abs like Miles? Teller? absolutely, tell me how. I do. I go, oh, I'm not gonna do that. Sometimes I think like watching a three-minute YouTube video or coming and listening to a 40-minute sermon and you listen to everything Tyler said for the last 40 minutes and you, you identify, you go, man, Tyler, yep, I did the poll. I got a hurry sickness. Yep, I hear you, I need to ruthlessly eliminate. Yep, I, I, I hear you, I've, I definitely got yokes from rabbis that, I, that don't belong to me, that they're ill-fitting, yep. Oh, I definitely want the yoke that Jesus offers, absolutely. And some of you will go home and you have absolutely no intention to open up your calendars or your agendas and ruthlessly eliminate anything from your life. You look at how Jesus is gonna live his life. We're gonna talk about this in the next four weeks. There was moments where he had silence and solitude where he just got away and to connect with his father. He always honored the Sabbath and took time to stop working and just to rest. He slowed his life down. He lived a simple life. We'll talk about each of those in the next four weeks and we look at the life that Jesus has, of the relaxed life, and we look at the lifestyle that got him there. And some of us are just like, I'm not gonna do that. I like how John Mark Comer said it. If you want the life of Jesus, you will have to adopt or embrace the lifestyle of Jesus. This is not a hard message. It's just one that in our culture and in today, many of us will not make the decision to take up that easy yoke because it requires you to ruthlessly eliminate many other things in your life. There's a story of the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus asking about this very exact thing. What is the full life? what does eternal life look like? This young man comes to Jesus and he says, he goes, Jesus, tell me about this eternal life that you're offering. What must I do to have it? And Jesus says, look, just, just do what I do. Follow the law completely. Don't lie, don't steal, don't commit adultery. The young man says, Jesus, I've been doing that. I come to church every day. I'm reading my Bible pretty regularly. I pray, I watch the sermon. I do all the right things. And Jesus goes, okay, great. Just one last thing. I want you to give up all of your wealth. I want you to come and follow me and be my talmudine, my apprentice. And the young man looks at the yoke that Jesus is offering and he feels the yoke that he's got on. And he goes away sadly and he goes, I can't give this up. Our problem is not gonna be, I wonder what I should be giving up or I wonder how I should be following Jesus better. The question is, is when you come up against the yokes that are actually choking the life out of you and you found them from other rabbis, what are you gonna do with them? Jesus will not share apprentices. Other rabbis, they'll let you have multiple rabbis. Jesus doesn't do that. He goes, if you want this life, I can give it to you and I will teach you this yoke, but you will have to give up everything else and come and follow me. Some of you are here today and you're saying, I see that, but like the rich young Lord, if Jesus couldn't invite everybody and everybody respond, I know there's no way I can do it. But for some of you, some of you are feeling the weight of the yoke. And perhaps you're like me and you go, Something's wrong with me. I love people, but I don't want to meet with anybody. Something's off inside me. Some of you are here and you can feel the scratching in your shoulders. You can feel the weight on the back. You wake up in the middle of the night with cold sweats, with knots in your chest. And for those people who came to Jesus and they called out, Jesus, Son of David, would you have mercy on me? Would you save me? He helped take off those yokes and he gave him his. And for some of you here, your call to action is to put down this yoke that's from the world, that's heavy laden, you were never designed for and to pick up the yoke of Jesus for the very first time. Do not come in with the same yoke and then leave, hear everything that I say and go, you know what, Tyler, I hear you, but I'm just gonna gonna keep doing my life the way that I see it. There's no such thing as living your truth. It is a fantasy and it is a delusion that is taking your life. This is what Jesus meant. This is what the Bible means when it says, if you want to find your life, you will have to lose it. If you lose your life, he promises, I'll help you gain a better one. And so with every head bowed and just all of our eyes closed, just for a moment, I wanna give an invitation for all of us here. Holy Spirit, you see our hearts, you see our minds, you see the pain that we are currently in. You see how the the lying yokes from blind rabbis are destroying our lives. And you've come today to remove them and to transform our lives and our hearts. Teach us your ways, Jesus. Teach us to practice your lifestyle. Let us be true followers of Jesus, that we would be copies of our rabbi, to be just like him. I thank you for these things. You can open up your eyes. If you prayed a prayer of salvation you called out to Jesus, I would love to talk to you before you leave here today. I'll be in the front lobby or I'll be up by the stage here. Just come and find me, but there'll be leaders around. They'd love to pray with you, give you a Bible and some other resources to help you as you follow your new rabbi. I, I wanna want just lay this before us. This series is about hearing the invitation of Jesus for you personally, for you to respond when you hear him say, come and follow me, let me teach you how to have a full life so that you can stop running on empty. I'm gonna invite Melissa, come on, just close this out now, yeah, thank you.